excited to be starting a new series with you this morning. Uh, Cole is doing the very same thing this morning in Stuttgart. While I'm here, I get the privilege of being here with you. Um, as we get started, let me tell you a little bit about me. I am really somewhat of a shy person. Um, my default has usually been kind of an arm's distance from people. Um, and my default, because, of my, because I am shy, is usually to not engage and not connect. So the other day, uh, imagine this is a phone. Uh, it's about right, about that size. Um, so the other day, I was getting my oil change, and so I'm sitting in the waiting uh, room, and there's only one other person in there across from me. And so we're in there, and I'm looking at my phone. She's looking at her phone, and for some reason, we glance up about the same time, and our eyes meet. And in that moment, it is so uncomfortable. <laughs> we immediately go right back to our phones, and it's like, oh, no, uh, you actually saw me, and I saw you, and we made some kind of eye contact. I'm not sure what to do with that. And so I go back to the safety of my phone, and she did the very same thing. We have a tendency to be disconnected people. It's just, for me personally anyway, I'm more comfortable with that. That's, I guess, just part of my brokenness. But an inability to look a stranger in the eye, that's one thing. But an unwillingness or an inability to connect in a deep way to a family member or to a friend, that takes disconnectedness to a whole new level. And we have that tendency. Next time you're at a restaurant, do this. Just kind of look around the restaurant. And look around at the tables and just identify how many people at those tables are sitting with the party that they're going to eat with and how many of them are on their phones, not engaged with each other. And listen, I'm guilty of that too. So I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm guilty of that as well. Because let's be honest, being completely present with a relationship, that is hard work. That takes hard, hard work. And our phones or our electronic devices are a very easy and somewhat acceptable distraction. You know the first iPod, if you remember what those are? The first iPod came out in about 2001. And suddenly you had all the music library that you owned in the palm of your hand, gigabytes worth of music, probably all of your library. And you could carry it around with you and you would put uh, attach earphones via wire from the iPod to your ears. And all of that was for you, just for you, anywhere you went, anywhere you were, you had all of your music library. Something else happened. Um, I want to say, I think that was around 2007. Uh, do you know what happened in 2007? The first iPhone came out in 2007. And suddenly, now you didn't just have your music library. In 2007, suddenly you had access to every song that had ever been written and recorded in your hand. And you had access suddenly in, your, in the palm of your hand, not just every song that has been written, but you had access to anything that you could get to through the internet. And it was all 
in your hand. It was an amazing invention in 2007. The smartphone changed our lives. Suddenly, we could be around hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people in one moment. And we, if we were uncomfortable, could go to the safety of our phone. And we could go to the safety of the internet on our phone, to the safety of an app on our phone. We had that available to us. We could be around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And suddenly, though, we could be safe in our own world. Since the invention of the smartphone, our entire foundation of our relational culture changed. You know, we are the most connected generation in history because of what we have access to, yet we're also the loneliest generation in history. Now, we can't take an easy out and just blame our tablets and our phones and our electronic connecting devices. We can't blame them for that. That's, that's just an easy out. We can't do that. It's not realistic. But I will say this, the newest technology that we have access to, it's representative of a larger, more complex human condition. So think about this. We have more health care, especially in the United States, more health care, more science, more medication, more ways to fight illness and to fight disease and germs than at any other point in the history of the world. We have that available today. And so here's the question. Then why are we dying 10 to 15 years earlier than we were with some previous generations? Why is the suicide rate increasing in spite of the fact that we have advanced um, of, uh, intervention efforts and advanced uh, help to, to, to people? Why is the rate still increasing? Why is the whole world of addiction steadily increasing, steadily growing, despite the fact that we have more efforts and more resources available to those to help fight addiction? Why is depression and anxiety on the rise and it's not slowing down? Here's one. Why is heart disease and cardiovascular disease, uh, so many different illnesses, cancer, even worse now than decades ago? despite the fact that we have made advancements? Well, research is actually giving us some answers. Studies are revealing that, among other factors, loneliness is a factor. You see, we are relational beings who need eye-to-eye, face-to-face contact. And I would add to that really with physical proximity, and we need that on a regular basis. For us, perhaps, let's define loneliness, at least through this series. And let's say this. Loneliness perhaps could be defined as being cut off from parts of ourselves and cut off from parts of other people, not really being seen or heard or noticed, and also leaving us with a deep sense of hopelessness. You see, loneliness is not the absence of relationship because that would be isolation. So we're not talking about that because we can be lonely in a crowd. We can be lonely in a a large group of people. We can be lonely in a large family. We can be lonely in a church. 
The loneliness survey that we did a few weeks ago, Cole and I did, we did a survey, and our results were very much like the national results. And here's what we found out, that about 72% of the people that we're around deal with loneliness on some level. 47% experience what you might call a serious loneliness. And that's kind of staggering for Ecole and I as we were thinking about that. That means for Stuttgart and for Malvern, possibly almost every other person that you pass is dealing with some kind of serious loneliness. Hmm. Other studies are revealing as well. Other studies tell us that the symptoms are on the rise for high school boys and high school girls, symptoms for depression on the rise. In fact, between 2012 and 2015, for young ladies, for students, teenage girls, the symptoms increased by 50% in those few years. And so I can only imagine what that number might be now post-pandemic. Emotional health is hard enough without the backdrop of a culture that is built and bent toward artificial connection. So this is one way to understand it. We did a little graph here for you. Our emotions that we experience, there you see that on the screen, the emotions that we experience have an impact on us. They usually cause us to go inside of our head, inside of our mind, and at the same time we're going inside of our mind because of the emotions we're experiencing, we begin to withdraw from other people. And that is going to mean that from that, loneliness is going to follow. Some level of loneliness is going to happen as a result of that. And then because we experience loneliness from that, then that's going to lead to a little bit of an increase in depression and anxiety that we feel. And then notice, once we feel that added depression level and that anxiety level, then we go back to more emotions. So we have emotions related to that. And those emotions, once again, cause us to withdraw, go into our mind and withdraw from other people, which then in turn causes us to increase a little bit more in our loneliness, which in turn causes us to have a little bit more anxiety, a little bit more depression, which in turn gives us more emotions that cause us to go inside our head, inside our mind, and we withdraw from other people. And can you tell what's happening? With each cycle, the loneliness gets a little more. And so what we have here is something that's kind of a, a loneliness cycle, and it increases. No wonder. You see what we have here? This is kind of a self-perpetuating cycle because as it cycles, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Consider this. I've been trying to think about how to describe uh, the feeling of loneliness, and this is what it feels like to me. You may not relate to this, but here's what loneliness feels like to me. Imagine that you are trapped in a giant tank of water and there's no lid to the top, but you're in a giant tank of water, you're treading water, and maybe you've been there for days and days, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe even years treading water, and of course, you begin to get tired. There's nothing for you to hang on to. All you can do is tread water. You're barely keeping your head above the water line. You're feeling weak and tired, and worse, nobody is coming for you. 
nobody is there to save you. Nobody even notices that you're in that tank of water and you are desperate. And you have this feeling that you're not going to make it. You have this feeling that there is no hope. And then you notice there's some people around the top of the tank. For some reason, they have a place to stand. And all of those people around the top of the tank, they are in relationship with each other. And they seem to be talking and visiting. They seem to be smiling. They seem to be content. But they don't notice you struggling in the water. And you're splashing. You're struggling. For some reason, you can't scream out for help, but surely that struggle that you're making in the water to keep your head above the waterline is making enough noise for them to notice you, but they don't notice you. They don't see you. And instead of noticing, instead of offering help, they just stay inside their own connections. Now, imagine with me, finally, two of those people they do turn toward you, and they do see you struggling in the water, barely making it. They turn toward you, but with no emotion in their eyes. They're just kind of watching you as if they were watching a mindless YouTube video. They look at you. They make eye contact. They turn and look at each other again and smile and go back to their conversation and go back to the connections that they have with the other people at the top of the tank. And finally, finally you slip under the surface and there's no hope. You see, the feeling of loneliness is difficult to describe. But I do believe we've all tasted loneliness on some level in some way. You see, bouts of loneliness, it's a common experience for us. We all have bouts of loneliness. But a prolonged loneliness is a sign of a much more serious, deeper disconnect. Now, in the year 2022, it seems we've actually lost as individuals the, abil the ability to connect in a deep, kind of a, a, a messy soul-to-soul -soul level. We've lost that. We've lost the ability to admit to the people around us who are closest to us We've lost the ability to admit that we need connection and that we're trying to seek some kind of connection. And we've also lost the ability to ask for that connection. We are a lonely society. And with that does come some isolation. And with the isolation comes some kind of death in our mind, in our bodies, in our spirit. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. This doesn't have to be the way life ends. And in this series today and over the next uh, three weeks that follow, we're going to be looking at a path, a possibility of reconnecting with people to a point where we can be seen again. You know, we have been focused now for a couple of years on a viral pandemic. Possibly now, perhaps, it's time to kind of rethink and reimagine how we could get through and combat a loneliness epidemic. 
loneliness is a separation from God, and it's a separation from other people around us. And we're going to see in a moment, it began in the Garden of Eden. After all, we are all children of Eden. But this loneliness that we experience, this loneliness is not God's original design. It is not his plan. That's not what he wanted to happen. Now, we often look, Cole and I and, and folks who teach with us, we often look at the early chapters of Genesis because they help us answer so many of the questions that we have about our lives, fundamental questions about uh, our struggles and pain, and yes, we can even include this, even loneliness. And so to get perspective, and this is a perspective that we have never personally experienced because what we're going to be talking about is on one side of the first sin, and we have only lived on the other side of sin. But the implications of what we're going to teach today, they will matter, I believe, and I hope they will matter to you by the time you leave this theater today. Now, in Genesis 1, we find something super cool, I think. Six times we find God saying the same thing. And I just want to give you these three words that he says on the screen. Then God said. Now, every time we have this written in these early chapters, every time in those places right there that we have identified on the screen, every time and then God said, he, he used a word and something happened, something was created. With the very voice of God, mere sound waves of God somehow had enough power that he creates something. He creates everything out of nothing. But then one more time, he says this word, then God said. Now, let's look and see what he says after that. This time, it's different. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. But with these words, oh, this is amazing. With these words, he did not create anything. With these words, he simply said, I've got a plan. I have an intention. I'm going to do something. This time he didn't create. This time he was going to do something. But here's what he did in verse 27. He said, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, don't, don't miss this. So this time, God did not just speak something into existence. He did something completely different, so different, something more than words, something very, very different up close, and it was something very personal. It was something very intimate, and God describes for us in just a few verses later exactly what he did and, and how he did it in this verse. He said, then the Lord God formed the man. You see, the rest of creation just happened with words. Then God said, and well, there it was. But this time he did something different. He did something where he himself formed something. And so the word that is used in the Bible there in the original language, it means this, to form something. It is to fashion it, to form it, kind of like a creator forms pottery. That's what that means. And so what we have is we have God who fashions it and forms it to precise specifications to his very plan like a potter. And it is so very intimate because God reaches down somehow and he gets his hands dirty. God gets his hands dirty in the mud 
as he is forming us, and the Bible says, from the dust of the ground. That's how he formed us. This is intentional. This is God placing such value upon this very special part of creation where God gathers up this dust, turns it into mud, and it is touched by the hands of God. Oh my goodness, so intimate. It is so personal. It is so up close. And what he formed was by his own design. And do you know what the blueprints for his design was? He told us in verse 27, the blueprints, it was himself. He was the blueprint. And with that blueprint, he forms us with such care and such attention and such detail. Now, this is so weird to me to think about, but at this point, so according to Scripture, at this point, we have this formed vessel, like a potter would, would form pottery. We have this formed vessel, this, this human vessel. It's a biological item of some sort. This is a new life, but somehow, as we're understanding the Scripture here, somehow this new life is still lifeless. I don't know. Maybe it had a beating heart. I, I don't know. But it was a biological container, yet it did not have that one thing that separated that biological container from all the other animals that God had created until he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. That's what we're told. God himself brought this biological container to life in this unique, one-of-a-kind way that he did not do with any other a part of his creation. And God somehow looked at Adam in the face, and he breathed some kind of special breath of life into Adam at that moment. And it was intentional, and it was up close, and it was on purpose. I get the idea kind of like uh, CPR rescue breathing. And Adam, Adam is going to come to life now. This biological container is now going to be different than any other animal God created. God did something himself to transfer both physical and spiritual life into Adam. And then we're told by Moses that the man became a living person at that moment. Something from God in us. Something from God into humankind. Now, the words that describe this living creature, those words are used uh, about five or six times in this creation story. Five or six times. Living creature living soul, living person. But this time that it's used in the passage where we are right now, this time it was different because this container is filled uh, here with something that no other created being is filled with, the actual breath of God in this moment. I don't know, but it's possible that in that moment that God with that breath, creates the human 
soul. It's possible that the soul is a beautiful aftermath of God breathing in to Adam. And guess what? We still have that breath today. Somehow we're each born with the breath of God that creates inside of us as well an eternal soul. You see, we are not even today in 2022, we are not an afterthought. We are molded after not some random idea or thing. No, 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 no. God said, then let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And those Hebrew words, those root words, give us a picture of it's like a mirror representation. It's described like this new creation that God breathed into is a mirror image, uh, a scaled down model, maybe like a prototype. Not the actual thing. No, 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 not the actual thing, but somehow a scaled down version of the image of God. Not a simple wink like, uh, we're going to give God a wink. No, no, no. It's not just a wink of resemblance. Somehow, in the words that are used, an actual scaled down model from which we are drawn and molded and created and formed. That's what those Hebrew words mean. What a beautiful picture. God is saying that that humans, which we are among, humans reflect the very nature of the triune God. And when we say that, because what we're talking about, did you notice God in that passage, he says, let us make man in our image. That's what he's saying. And there we have us and our God the Father. We have God the Son represented. We have God the Spirit. And he says, it is from that likeness that then he is now going to breathe his breath into us, giving us his breath, his life, which brings us to life eternally. And to me, that is just wow. That's his original design. That's his original plan. God has designed humankind for connection from the very beginning of time. We are designed to have intimacy with God from the very beginning of time. It's by his design. That's the way he wanted it. Community with God from the very start. Up close and personal, face-to-face with God from the very start. That's what he wanted. Attachment to God from the very beginning. That was his plan. That was how he designed us. And we are created for that very specific purpose of having a relationship with God. It is why we are here. That is his design. Now, this was true of Adam, as we read here in these early chapters of Genesis. This was also true of Eve in these early chapters of Genesis. And I want you to know that today, in 2022, right now at this moment, it's also true of you. That is his design for you. That's his plan. His plan is that you would have a relationship with him. 
think with me for a moment. Why did God create the universe? What purpose? Why, why did God create these planets and, and these suns uh, that, that uh, are also stars? Why, why did God create <clears throat> on this planet uh, the, the plants and the animals? Have you thought about it? Why in the world did God create a platypus? It is so weird, but he had a plan and a desire, and, and I want to think, and I believe it, is true that he created all of these things for his pleasure. He did. He was pleased to do it. It pleased him to do it. But why did he create us, humankind? God doesn't need us. Why did he create us? I believe it's because God wanted to step into a relationship with his creation. So he created Adam. And you know what? He didn't stop there. Verse 28 says, he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. And they did. And they kept on. And now here we are. And he wants a relationship with you too. God desired to dwell with us in a way that he would not dwell with any part of his creation. He wanted to dwell perfectly with us, perfectly dwell with us, designed. We are designed to dwell. And it takes time to dwell with God, specifically an eternity. Do you realize that his plan, his original plan, was for us to dwell with him? And this is huge. Do not miss this if you can. Don't miss this. He didn't design us to dwell with him occasionally where we could hang out. He did not design us where it was something that would be kind of a hit and miss visitation with God. It, it was not meant to be when God wasn't too busy and we're not too busy, then maybe we can connect. No, 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 no. He created us to dwell, and, and, and dwelling always takes time. And that was his plan. So how much time exactly? If that is his plan, and dwelling takes time, how much time did God allot? What kind of time is necessary here? How much time do we need to dwell with God before we can say, yes, I have dwelt with God, if that's even the word. I did dwell with God. How much time is required? Well, here's the answer to that. The time that God allotted for us to dwell with him was eternity. That's the amount of time he allotted for him to step into a relationship with us and dwell. You see, dwelling with God is not a sprint where we take off and, and we cover a whole lot of ground in a short amount of time. And then we can kind of look back and say, wow, God, look how far we've come in such a short time. No, 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 no. Rather, it is millimeters a day, tiny steps a day, every single day, all day long, being fully present with God. And it's in those tiny little steps in that relationship with God all day, every day, 
where dwelling takes place. It's time to be with. Dwelling is time to sit with and time to walk with. And you know what? Dwelling is not just sitting still. We find that to dwell, work is actually required. You've heard of the artist and sculptor Michelangelo, and he's the guy that carved some of the world's most magnificent sculptures. They were amazing. And um, he did some really amazing work in the 1400s. And let's just imagine for a moment that we were in his studio, whatever that looked like, and he had a hammer in one hand, a chisel in the other hand, and we are there, and he's got a giant block of marble, and we are seeing the beginning of a sculpture with Michelangelo. And here's what it might look like 10 minutes in, and we're going, all right, Michelangelo, what's it going to be? And he says, you have to wait. You have to wait. Sit still. Wait. Wait and see. One hour in, I mean, we're looking at our watch, and we're like, yeah, one hour in. We're like, listen, uh, I've got some errands to run, so I'm going to go run some errands. I'm going to be right back later, but but I want to see. I do want to see. I'll be back later, and I'll check in to see what's happening because I, I want to know, right? I want the end result right now. I don't want to dwell. I want it now. But beauty in a relationship with God, it requires time and it requires presence. It requires durability. It requires dwelling with God over the long haul, moment by moment, not just checking in with God. God says, I know that you want it all right now, and you want it fast, you want it quickly, but you're going to have to dwell with me, and it takes time to dwell. It takes great time. It is not short. It is not quick. It is not easy. In fact, it takes work, and we have plenty of distractions available to us. It takes great work. It takes work to sit with God and to dwell. The name of our series this month is, Oh, Now I See. Oh, Now I See. And here's what we hope you see today. That God doesn't want a visitation plan. Jacob and the band are going to be making their way up. We're getting ready to sing, but don't check out yet. The oh, now I see portion of this is, is God is saying, no, 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 no. I don't want a visitation plan. I, I don't want you to simply just check in with me. That's not what God desires. It's not what God wants. No, no, we are meant to live. Not in isolation. You see, in isolation, that's the evil one's plan. That's what he wants. Not in loneliness. He doesn't want us to to live in loneliness. That's also a goal of the evil one. No, we're meant to dwell with God all day, every day, for eternity. You know, Adam had a perfect 
dwelling relationship with our creator. It was perfect for a moment. It was perfect for a, a bit of time. But then loneliness showed up. And it showed up in a big way. And then Adam has passed that very same kind of loneliness on to every generation that has followed. And because of that, it would make sense that that the humankind was meant for another kind of dwelling. It would make sense that every part of our soul yearns for and longs for uh, us to get back to that original design. But perfection was broken in the garden. It was busted in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, perfection was no more and it was gone. And ever since that moment, humans have experienced loneliness, desperately searching for reconnection. Because we were designed to live connected to God. That's the way God designed us to live, dwelling with him moment by moment by moment. And I believe that the first step, the first step for us to end loneliness in our lives is to dwell with God and learn how to do it, dwelling with God all day long, because that's what he created us for. Now, listen, that is not the only step. There are many other steps to follow, but I, let's just keep first things first, because that is the first step to begin the process of ending loneliness in our lives. The first step is to learn how to dwell with God. This is where the journey out of loneliness starts, but there's so much more. But let's start here. You know, Stuttgart Harvest Church and us here, the church in Malvern, we have an ultimate core value. We have seven core values, but of those, one of them is the ultimate value. And it has a lot to do with dwelling with God. Our ultimate core value at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern is this. It is worship. And right now, in just a moment, we are going to, um, we're going to use music to worship God. We're going to worship this God who took his breath face-to-face -face into our life somehow and breathed life into us. That God who at this very moment desires a relationship with you, he desires a relationship with you and you, he desires one with me. That's the God we're going to worship. But I want you to know there is more to worship than what we do with music. So this week, if you want to take a step out of loneliness toward that journey, this week, will you worship this God who desires to be face-to-face -face with you? Will you worship him? And here's how we do it during the week. With every decision that we make, we are either worshiping ourselves or we are worshiping God. With everything that we say, everything that we do, we are either worshiping ourselves or worshiping God. And if we are worshiping God, we are dwelling with God. Will you be aware this week? that through your very decisions, through the things you say and the things that you do, the attitudes that you have, the facial expressions that you allow on your face, 
all of that can be worship to God. It's not just what we do here in this room. It's everything we do as we live life. Now, as you leave today, I, I have something that I want to put in your hands. I really want you to take it home. It's nothing magical. It's just a reminder. And I'm going to have those available. I'm going to place them on this bar right here behind Rice. I'm just going to set them out. And would you take one with you? And what it is, it's a little bitty token you can put in your pocket or you can uh, put a hole through it and put it on your keychain. But every time you look at it, I want you to remember that our ultimate core value, our ultimate value at the Church of Malvern and Stuttgart Harvest Church is worship. And you'll see it indicated on that by a W-O, the first two letters, worship. And you'll see it written on there. And you'll also see six other letters. We'll talk about those later over the weeks. But this one, for this week, every time you see that, every time you feel that in your pocket, every time you see it on your keychain, on your key ring, may it remind you that you were designed to dwell with God. And let your decisions in that moment be a worship to God. Before we sing these songs, would you join me? We're going to skip the, the video, I believe, the prayer video, and we're just going to let Jacob play. Would you join me as we pray? Let's talk to this God who loves us, this God who created us. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, you created us for a relationship with you. And we may have people in this very room who are past the point of being weary. We may have people who are burdened. They have things weighing them down that are heavy. And God, we desire to point them toward you. Jesus, our Savior. God, when we have these empty feelings of loneliness, because shame has landed upon our life like a heavy weight, and it has isolated us from others, and it has caused us to be lonely, shame is stealing everything from us that, God, you desire. You desire us to dwell, but shame steals that and makes us lonely and isolated. God, may we have some healing in our hearts. May we have some healing in our emotions as we learn to dwell with you, Jesus. Because you, Jesus, are the one who can make a way. You are the one who rose from an empty grave. And there is not one sinner, God, that you can't save. So, Jesus, we are going to worship you. Give us, give us the wisdom, God, to know what to do with what we've heard. And may you, God, give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.